it's Amy. And I was just chatting with my husband about how comfortable his hoodie was, and he told me, you have got to order me another one of these. The Barrel Horse Life store is unlike any store. Here you get to pick the style, the color, the size, and then it's shipped directly to your front door. Their size is extra small through 5XL. Men's, women's, kids, so much more to choose from. I'd really love for you to check it out for yourself at www.barrelhorselife.store. And if I may add, you have to check out the most comfortable hoodie. It's my favorite and, of course, my husband's favorite. Again, that's www.thebarrelhorselife.store. Horsemanship is the foundation of any event, not just barrel racing. We've all been at barrel races before and have seen horses and thought to ourselves, if that horse just had a better foundation, or man, that horse needs way more than 60 days of the trainer. It all starts at the beginning with a good foundation and good horsemanship. We cannot say it enough. I hear a lot of trainers talk about horsemanship, but not many can explain it in detail like my next guest can. He's been training horses for over four decades. Shoot, that's longer than I've been alive. He understands the horse's body parts and exactly how they move. If you've ever had the honor to watch him and work a great horse, it's like watching two people dance in sync. It is truly magical. He's a world-class horseman, a dang good roper, and he's one hell of a cowboy. I'm Amy Davenport, and this is the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode, Phil Haugen. Are you frustrated searching for products for your horse that end up just sitting in the tack room or just don't work? Since 2014, Draw It Out has been helping horses and humans. They sell the best products to draw out inflammation, heat, and they're 100% safe to use. It's gentle on your horse's skin, yet tough on swelling and soreness. It can be left on for long periods of time without burning and without blistering. I won't haul anywhere without the spray concentrate. Once I tried their products, I wonder how I ever lived without them. Oh yeah, the first time I used the ice bath shampoo, I was totally hooked. It was so simple, and my horses smelled amazing. I like that I can use the gel under the saddle pad and splint boots. From the CBD-infused gel to the Breathe to Run South, it is pretty safe to say that Draw It Out products are not only owner-approved, but horse-approved as well. From the round pen to the barrel pen, our choice is Draw It Out. Shop now at LonePrairiePHS.com and use discount code AMY10. Again, that's LonePrairiePHS.com. Awesome. All right. Well, today on the show, uh, I'm fortunate enough to interview someone that I have looked up to for some time now. You've been a force for good in the horse industry, and I have tremendous respect for you, Phil. I could not be more happy to have you here with us today. Well, thanks. Um, I appreciate you having me, and uh, thank you for the kind words. That's uh, very nice. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to make sure that people know you a little bit better. Um, For those of you that haven't heard about you, you are the host of your very own podcast, and it's called Be Your Best Horseman, right? Yeah, Be Your Best Horsemanship. So we've been doing that podcast now for about three years, three and a half years, and yeah, it's went over well. I mean, it's just you know how it is with podcasts. I mean, if you provide information with value, it's probably going to survive. And if you don't, it probably won't, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's been good. And we've had a fun, we've had a lot of fun doing it. And it's, as you know, just like with your podcast, it's just real rewarding when you get feedback from people that say, Oh gosh, that helped them through that day or, or that situation or whatever, you know? So, yeah, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. Very rewarding. Very it, rewarding. It is. And I, in the past, have had people stop me at, at shows or barrel races, and they're like, hey, you're that podcast girl. And the fact that they put my face and my name together, because we're just a voice, right? So when they put the two together, the first time it happened, I, I got choked up, and I didn't know what to say, because I was so taken back by it. And, and, and I'm not very often speechless, <laughs> but I was at that moment, and I was so humbled and yeah. so honored. So it is it is a really cool thing to be able to bring it to the masses. So, um, so 
anyways, let's talk a little bit about your past. Um, you competed in the PRCA for 20 years in calf roping and in team roping, as well as just two years ago, you were inducted to the North Dakota Cowboy Hall of Fame. So I competed in the calf roping, team roping, and the saddle bronc riding because, like, in 89 when I won the Linderman, you have to you have to compete in three events at different ends of the arena. And, like, growing up, I just, I just loved it all. I mean, I just – I did all the events at one time. And uh, growing up in northwest North Dakota, we just – we just loved to play cowboy and compete and ride bucking horses and rope. And, you know, it was, uh, I was very blessed to get to grow up in those surroundings. And, uh, and then I've just always had a love for the horse ever since I was just little bitty. It's been a great run. And then, you know, one of the, one of the great, I don't know if it's an achievement or an accomplishment or whatever you want to call it, but, when I got inducted to the North Dakota Hall of Fame, that was uh, that was really a big day, not only for me but for my family and for all yeah. the people that had helped me. And um, yeah, it, it was it was somewhere that I never dreamed I'd be. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm not inducted to the Cowboy Hall of Fame, so I think it's amazing. I think that's just <laughs> that's something that you don't come across every day. Yeah, it's uh, you know it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of very worthy applicants for that. And it is you do have to apply and you have to go through a a, a lot of paperwork. And I say a lot of paperwork. I didn't. My sister Naomi did it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a neat it's a good process because they do. Um, start out with several and then they narrow it down and then then they end up voting on four and two of you get in each year and mm-hmm. and like I said there's a lot of guys up there worthy of it that that are in and there's a lot of guys worthy of it that haven't got in yet but, but eventually they will right right and then at the end to see your name up there along with all the people that I'm sure you looked up to when you were younger and as you were growing up and becoming the horseman that you are today to see your name along with them. How's that feel? You know, it it feels weird. At first it was like, you know, you look at it like, oh gosh, they made a mistake and put my name up there. I I mean, it's still to this day, to, to even like hear you say it, it sounds, um, it sounds weird to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know that, uh, I don't know if I'll ever really get used to that. Let's get the conversation started out. I think that you what you do is such a unique thing. And horsemanship is is the basis. It's the foundation. It's the start of everything. When I first got started into horses, oh, probably 15 years ago or so, that's this is kind of what I got started into you know I was watching Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance and Buck Brenneman you know I couldn't and this was really back before the internet like real I mean it was around obviously I'm not that old but but it was back before YouTube was a big deal you know Instagram and Facebook were they were around but they weren't really around like they are now so it was much harder to find things we had to watch DVDs and you had to go to clinics or you had to get online and find a DVD set to kind of learn these things you know Clinton Anderson was around and I remember buying his big you know CD set and kind of learning horsemanship and how to work with your horse and become one with your horse and understand them and you know horses can't talk but they do through their body language and so when I had kind of found you several years ago and I just felt like I could relate to you so much and I think that horsemanship isn't enough in the barrel horse industry so that's I think the main reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I think you have so much to offer as far as um, not just horsemanship as a whole but what what you can do and help bring to the to the barrel horses to make them better so um starting out I know that getting a good foundation on a horse is something that you elaborate quite often especially on your podcast as well so I would love to hear in your opinion what you think that you look for um in a good foundation and a horse and what you try to avoid in teaching in a foundation and a horse yeah, those are 
Those are great questions, Amy. I mean, so what we've done in our industry, we produced an animal, you know, a equine partner that is just a freakish athlete with a ton of speed, ton mm-hmm. of ability. But along with that comes um, challenges of controlling speed and direction. Because really and truly in the performance horse world, it's all about me it's all about controlling speed and direction can we stop can we rate can we get balanced get balanced to get ready to turn get balanced to get ready to accelerate and see a horse a horse's body is naturally naturally front end loaded and so a horse does not come into this world balanced and so what happens is when you're running at a high speed a horse's back is hollowed out extended there's a lot of times there's an elevation in the head and anytime there's an elevation in the head the back's going to be hollowed out and that horse is going to be front end loaded well that fast but then we need that body to change to get ready to rate stop turn you know any of the other maneuvers that we require so what's happened is is everybody's figuring this out too just like you were saying there there's been a there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of improvement in horsemanship over the years i mean i just know from where i started to where it is now you know i just came from a clinic in arizona there were some really really advanced trainers and horses there and you know the foundation part of it breaking it back down to understanding that we have to be able to have communication with all five body parts of that horse and we got to have all five body parts working together always not just once in a while we can't be we can't be pulling on the head and neck without the shoulders ribcage and hind quarter responding to Mm-hmm. And so from the foundation side of it, you know, I always say horsemanship is, it's simply communication and leadership. That, to me, that's all it is. If you're, if you don't have a connection with that muscle that's in that horse's skull, that's the size of my fist, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to control that body to the point where it's efficient and effective, smooth, soft. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing is communication, having that connection and then leadership, showing them what response we're asking for and showing them in a way they understand so that when we get the response, we can provide that release. And so you're, you're like, it's kind of like goal setting. I mean, we all understand where we want to get to, but we have to have a plan to get there and, Included in that plan, our horse has got to be able to understand what the plan is. And so foundation horsemanship is communication with all five body parts through the horse's mind. And then we can use that to help ourselves. We can use that to help ourselves in whatever our next maneuver is and set a, set them up for success. Yeah. So when it comes to slow work, you have just a wonderful way of elaborating it and bringing your words to life. When you talk about balance, this is like the first thing that popped in my mind. I would like you to share how how balance plays such a big part of our sport. Because a few months back, I listened to an episode that of your podcast that changed a whole lot for me. And if you don't like, if you don't mind, I'd like to say a quick quote of you. Um, sure. You said, when you're having trouble with your horse coming through softly, that when you're sitting in your your saddle on his back, when you're going to the left, if you have 51% of your weight in your right stirrup, that first foot that's going to pick up is the left front foot. Because the way that the horse's body works is whichever foot has the most weight in it, when you ask for a response the opposite foot will pick up first. 
So the first time I listened to this, I was on the way to a barrel race and I remember warming up and I was thinking, okay, am I 50-50 in the saddle? Am I equally balanced? You know, I'm out here loping around the warm up pin and, you know, I thought I was pretty good. Um, so when I ran my horse, I ended up knocking the first barrel. So on the way home, I ended up re-listening to the episode again a little bit more in depth than I did the first time. So when I watched my video back of that run, that was the moment for me that I realized when speed is added, that's when stuff falls apart for most of us. And it kind of, for me, I think for a lot of us, it all goes back to balance. I'd set a little too early going into the first barrel. I leaned just to the inside, which then loaded all of the weight into his inside front foot. And he ended up knocking the first barrel going into it. So on the whole drive home, I made a game plan for the next week to work on my balance in the saddle and out of the saddle too. Um, Because our sport is all about speed, timing, and balance. And especially balance, if that's where I need most of the work and that's where I fail him, then I need to be better about it every day. So I want to ask you, can you elaborate just a little bit more on how balance plays such a big part in our sport? Yeah, so the the, the thing about balance, and this is something I, I, I learned all this the hard way. Right. <laughs> Don't know, we all, right? I, I've, <laughs> I have learned, what, what I've learned is by failing, you know, miserably at times, doing things that I thought were a good idea, but from the horse's perspective made no sense. So mm-hmm. just like with balance, you got to understand that, you know, just like in a turn, in a turn, the pivot point needs to be on the back end, not the front end. Well, going into a turn, if you lean in, if you lead in the turn with your shoulder, what happens is you get more of a percentage of your body weight to the inside than outside. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, so it just, you know, just switch spots. Say, say you were the horse and you were down on all fours and somebody was riding you and they go to lean into the turn. Well, if you lean into the turn and you're going to the left, your left arm is not, your left arm will pick up some, but it's going to be a real short step because you need to put it down quickly so that you can balance. Mm-hmm. Well, that that quickly becomes your pivot point, and then you have the back end ends up chasing the front end around. Yeah. Well, you know, if you stay, you know, if you stay square, even if you stay square and you're not a lot to the outside, if you just stay square and don't get to the inside, you know, and, and ideally 51% on your hip you know just say your hip or your stirrup well what that does is then your then the outside front and back leg become your brace legs and it frees up the inside legs to step through and see like you have to remember the way horses are made until that in a turn inside front leg reaches forward reaches the back leg's not coming Mm-hmm. That back leg's not going to come up and hit the front leg and say, get out of the way. And the way a horse's body works, the front leg goes, then the back leg comes. Well, you know, so balance, our balance, or helping our horses balance is what's important. And understanding that, when I started to understand that, it, it totally changed my life. It really did. I mean, that was that was a life-changing moment for me when I started to figure out see because so a lot of times in turns we we feel I or I did I felt like I was helping my horse by leaning into the turn and that is completely opposite mm-hmm. you know you think think you're helping them stay more balanced but you're not and you're putting them in a position to where the maneuver that we're asking them to complete is extremely difficult now you can still get them to kind of do it, but it's just, it's not very smooth. It's not very efficient. And here's the other thing. In a turn, any time your horse starts to get front end loaded and sticky with their front feet, and the reason they get sticky with their front feet is they're trying to get balanced, you're killing your momentum. And when you kill your momentum, you're, 
you're taking, you're adding time to the clock every step. As barrel racing, we see women and even sometimes guys in magazines, you know, on their legs or way out on the sides, they're kind of starfishing is what we call it. Or, you know, their bodies are way back behind the horse, slowing them down a little bit, you know, (laughs) you know, their hands with their reins are up behind their ears. And I had a really good trainer tell me a long time ago, he always told me, if you have to push your horse's ears forward with your hands, you need to work on your horsemanship. <laughs> he said he doesn't have turbo buttons back there behind his ears, you know. <laughs> and I always remember that, you know, especially coming around the third barrel. You know, a lot of people want to, you know, push forward, which, you know, every horse is different. And I, I don't judge other people for what they do. But for me, you know, yeah, we need some forward momentum. But I also have to stay very squared and very balanced because... If I get off too much, you know, I'm not 20 years old anymore. (laughs) I'm a little bit older and things are a little bit slower. My reaction time's a tad slower, but I need to stay more squared, more balanced. And when I do, then I can keep my ankles down. I can keep my toes up. I can stay more sturdy in my, in my saddle as well. So I agree. There's like, we cannot sit here and talk enough about balance and how much it plays a role and the turns and running straight and keeping your square. And it helps their joints. It helps their bodies. You know, the longevity of a horse keeping their, as you know, as performance horses, they need their joints for the rest of their life. It's it's a big deal. Yeah, I tell you what, it really, I mean, you hit on a real good point there. I mean, here's the thing. I'm, you know, and everybody knows this about me. I'm not a barrel racer. I mean, I started out strictly riding rope horses and competing in the, in rodeo events and you know i'm i'm more from the cowboy side of it but with horsemanship you know the things i've figured out to help a horse handle their body and understand the results that we're trying to achieve you've got to try to their job they they have a tough job anyway barrel racing is a tough event on a horse Mm -hmm. but we the reason it's so hard on them is sometimes we're not making their job, you know, as easy as we could. And I'm still saying their job is is challenging. But if we don't help put our horse's body in a position to where they can be successful and efficient and and we're not in a, a fight, a tug of war with them, if we don't do that, they're going to get to where they hate their job. And... You might still get them through the pattern, and you may still make some runs. You still may win some. You know, everybody has their own style, and and uh, everybody knows it's been to my clinics and been to my events. I mean, all of my opinions are based off of what helps the horse do their job. Then after that, I tell people, you know, you take and add which pieces you want to what you're already doing, but, you know, I think you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to have maximum success and help yourself and your horse reach your maximum potential without keeping some of that in, you know, considering what can I do to help my horse horse so that it makes his job as, as easy as possible, which, like I said, it's, it's still a challenging job, you know, so... Um, you know, and I think that's where we're at in the industry. I mean, um, whether it's the roping, the barrel racing, it's just like I said, the last clinic, I just got home from a clinic in Arizona and I had, I had ranch cowboys, I had ropers, I had barrel racers, I had some cow horse people. Um, great horsemanship is not discipline specific. You, you have to understand that side of it. And then apply it to whatever discipline you want. But but we have to make it to where our horses have the best opportunity to complete the task at hand. Another thing that I hear you talk often about is the rib cage. Um, in yes. in our sport, the rib cage is the center. It's in my opinion, one of the most important things. And me personally, I also have problems with the rib cage. <laughs> so. I would love to hear, uh, in your mind, as far as horsemanship, how big of a role does the rib cage play into what we do? Well, another great question, because the rib cage is key. I mean, the rib cage is huge. And 
when you think about the horse's body, okay, they're the two heaviest parts of the horse's body are the, the front end and the hindquarters. Well, what connects them? The rib cage. You know, in talking earlier when we talked about controlling speed and direction, I mean, really and truly that my whole program is based around controlling speed and direction. Well, when you're controlling speed and direction, you have to be able to control the feet. I mean, pulling on the head and neck, you can do that all you want. And I've done it. And if the feet don't go with them, you know, if the feet don't go in the direction you tip that nose, you're, you're not going to achieve anything, right? So the, the key here is, is when we, when we get control of that rib cage, when I talk about control of the rib cage, we need to be able to flex it laterally, left and right, and pick it up. Because when you can do that, when you control the movement of that rib cage side to side and you're able to pick that rib cage up, then you're really able to get that horse balanced, more balanced, meaning more weight off of the front end and back on the hind quarters. And really and truly, when when somebody says, well, I want to get my horse's weight on the hind quarters, for me, if I just get close to 50-50, I'm tickled because it is extremely challenging for a horse to do that. I mean, there's a lot of horses that, you know, 60 to 70% of their weight's on their front end. So you're making a 20 or 30% change. And the reason that rib cage is so important that if you don't have that softness in that rib cage, then your horse is what we call bilateral, meaning they're, they're just stiff as a board. Well, if a horse is bila- in a bilateral state, they're going to pivot on the front end. If you have your horse soft in their rib cage, that softness in that rib cage is going to make it to where that front end, that some of that weight will be off that front end so that front end can get ready for a stop, a rate, or a turn. And it just, you know, it just puts here again, it's, it's all about putting that horse's body in a position to where we can help them be successful and complete the maneuver that we're asking them to. So, the rib cage is is everything. I've got a I've got a group coming in today for a private clinic for two days and the majority of one day we'll work on rib cage exercises. Because here's the thing, you, you have to create you have to create triggers when you go to ask for a response to where that horse knows what's coming and automatically just softens in that rib cage. If, if you wait till you're at the point where you need the horse soft in the rib cage and then you use your rein in your leg, a lot of times you're gonna meet with resistance. And then when you meet with resistance, a lot of times a horse even pushes into you with that rib cage. Well, the reason horses do that is because Horses don't like surprise parties. And when you're going into a turn at 30 mile an hour and they don't know you're fixing to ask them to turn and then all of a sudden you get a hold of them, horses go into self-defense mode because horses, they don't like being pulled off balance at high speeds. And see, what happens in those situations is we just don't have enough. Our communication's not good enough to warn them of what's coming and and that's the whole key to everything I do is helping horses helping horses understand and feel those triggers so that they know to get ready a horse will do whatever we ask them to do if we help them get ready like like I always talk about I stop a rate you know stopping rating turning those are easy maneuvers if we know how to get our horses ready to stop, ready to rate, or ready to turn. Those are really easy maneuvers when your horse is prepared for it. I think that's a very good point. Uh, going to back to what you were talking about a little bit ago, what kind of groundwork do you do, um, say, for example, when you when you get a new horse or have a new client horse, do you do any type of groundwork before you get on that horse? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, 
absolutely. See, here again, it's all about that connection with their mind. So before I ever battle a horse, I'm going to work them on the halt with a halter and a lead rope, move their feet. I'm going to disengage their hindquarters. I'm going to soften them laterally. I'm going to move them out, make sure I got some softness in that rib cage. And, and what I'm doing there is, is I'm stimulating the thinking side of that horse's brain. Because before I saddle that horse, before I get on that horse, I want that horse using that thinking side of their brain. You know, horses, they only have two thought processes. They're, they're either thinking or reacting. And any time a horse feels any anxiety, any insecurity, they're going to be reactive. Well, the way you counteract that is help them understand that when you ask for a response, there's always a release. Well, every time you ask for any kind of a response, you get the response and then you release. That helps to stimulate the thinking side of their brain. So, yeah, I it's it's uh, it's smart to do a little groundwork before you ever saddle them and ride off because you just set you just set the tone for the whole day. I have a 18, 19-year-old mare until this day. I've had her since she was four. We still have to do, even if yeah. it's five, two, three, four, five minutes of groundwork, we still do groundwork till this day. Because if I don't, I regret it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, here, here again, I mean, just like sometimes in our world we think, well, since she's 18 years old, I shouldn't have to do that anymore. See, horses don't look at it like that. Horses, it doesn't matter if they're 2 or 22, the same things can trigger that reactive side of their brain. I mean, they, you know, they can always, a horse will always have the ability to flip that switch and go to the reactive side of their brain. And so, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, to me, that's just smart. That's just smart because I need a horse thinking and I want a horse to associate me stepping in that stirrup with thinking because if I've got them using the thinking side of their brain, I can have a very productive training session. If I get on a horse and you spend 15 minutes trying to get them to use the thinking side of their brain, that's just wasted time to me. Yeah, I don't really have that time to waste. When you do first get up in the saddle, um, walk us through, what are some things that you like to do to get a horse warmed up, to get them worked, um, to keep that thinking side of their brain? Yeah, so to begin with, you know, I'll do the sim- some simple groundwork exercises, and I'm very consistent with it. Like I don't, like I said, horses don't like surprise parties. There's, uh, I get this every once in a while, someone will say, well, this, you know, I kind of get bored my horse gets bored with these exercises. No, that the horse doesn't get bored with it. The rider does. Right. So because we because we get bored as riders, we start mixing it up, which which is fine if you if you implement that correctly. But when I'm when I get on when my foot steps in the stirrup, like in my butt hips saddle, I I don't I don't ever just ride off. I want my horse to associate when when my foot hits the stirrup, I step in the saddle. I want my horse to stand still. I want them to relax. I want them to think. And the first exercise I do every day on every horse is simple lateral flexion, a four-step lateral flexion exercise to where that horse softens, gets off the bridle. I'm able to provide the release multiple times both directions before I ever take a step forward and then when I step forward when I squeeze them lightly with the calf of my leg or my my thigh and they step forward I'll take a few steps and then I'll go into my into a four-step one-ring stop which is the same four steps as lateral flexion and so the reason I do that my first four exercises are lateral flexion ask a horse to move out smoothly one rein stops, and then a lateral bending exercise. Because I want my horse to associate thinking 
And right off the bat, I want to do exercises that soften them in all five body parts. And they understand that as long as they try, they're going to find that release. Well, then I build on that. I usually start my day like that, and I usually end my day like that. I think that's wonderful. You keep that thing inside, and you're starting on a good note, and you're ending on a good note. That's what I was always taught. Yeah, you know, however you leave them today, that's kind of a pretty good rule of thumb is however you leave your horse today, that's how you're going to find them tomorrow. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if, if horsemanship is communication and leadership, well, good leadership, step in the pen with a horse, and the first thing that happens, their head comes up and they run to the back end. I, I need to reevaluate my leadership. Because that horse isn't associating me with a leader that they want to be around. Yeah, and that makes me think of a good question, you know. I had a really hard time with my mare when she was young. And, of course, I was a green rider and a green horse. That does not make for a good combination. But you live, you learn. (laughs) So for those of you that are listening to this podcast, don't do it the way I did it. Ask for help. Getting the horse's trust back is very hard to do. Um, What's your expertise on horse and trust and helping them learn through that process? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, you have great memories. So if you do something that destroys the trust that you've built, you need to go to work. And it's not a quick fix. You know, and that's one of the things, I mean, and everybody's starting to figure that out, that the quick fixes are just a Band-Aid Mm-hmm. that eventually the sticky part wears off and the Band-Aid comes off. So trust is something, trust, respect, confidence is something we build daily. Anytime you lose that with your horse, you got to go back to the most simple exercises and start building. You know, do do things, you know, do exercises that you're good at, do exercises where it's easy for them to find the answer, be really, really good with the release. Everything we do, the only thing that teaches a horse that they found the answer is the release. Physically manipulating one around, they don't learn anything mm. if there's not a release in there. You can you can work hard all day, kicking, tugging, pulling, you know, working working your butt off. And at the end of the day, your horse didn't learn anything. They just physically got manipulated around all day. So the release, the release is always what you're teaching. And when you release and that horse goes, oh, that's what Amy wanted or that's what Phil wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, and they don't know our names are Amy and Phil. But, you know, they just know that. All of a sudden, they went from being uncomfortable to now when they're in this position, there's there's comfort. You know, that's what starts to build understanding, trust, confidence. See, we got to be real careful that every day we're not creating frustration. Because frustration doesn't build confidence. Confidence doesn't build trust, doesn't build respect, doesn't, you know... Frustration is anxiety. Frustration creates reactive responses. Frustration causes horses to go into self-defense mode. So we got to be real careful with our plan, our program, that everything we do is based off of that communication and that leadership and helping our horses find those release points. And that's why I always talk about, you you know, goals are great. we got to have goals. But your plan, the implementation of your plan is what what progresses your horse, you know, mentally and physically towards those goals. What advice would you give for when you get frustrated? Because I know that I personally have been in that situation many times. You know, you're working your horse and you can't give them any release because they're not doing things the way they should. And you know, and in our industry, you know, things, we try to do things, you have to go at a, at a good speed often because it's a time-based event. So I get frustrated right. very, very easily. 
Um, and I have a short fuse occasionally. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm a little bit better about the awareness of when I do get frustrated. So what advice as far as the horsemanship side would you give for those of us that get in a situation like that? Yeah, and so that, that kind of carries over to the personal development side, you know, and and, and everybody in the, on the horsemanship side of it needs to understand that personal development is as big as the horsemanship side. Mm-hmm. Because those are, like, when you get frustrated, that's a thought, right? You're frustrated, you're thinking about something that is really frustrating you, that's a thought. We have to understand that and, and I was not very, I'll be the first to admit, just like you said, I was not very good at this for a long time. But I figured out that, you know, I can't control the first thought, but I can control the second thought. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's always going to be. Because there are things, when you're working your horse, there are going to be thoughts that come into your mind that you don't want there. And you can't stop that but you can control how you react to it. So with that being said, what I always go to is I go back to three things. Okay, I look at what exactly, what specifically am I asking my horse to do? How can I ask in a way they understand and see? How can I ask in a way they understand? That could be different with each horse, and a lot of times it is. Now, it's going to be similar, but you may have to really dumb it down to help them find the answer. And then you have to go, okay, and where's the release? Well, the release, the mistake we make with the release is when we're frustrated, mad, upset, we aren't very good with the release because we're in the mindset that, by God, you're going to do it and I'm going to teach you a lesson and... Mm-hmm. And so when when they do provide some effort, instead of releasing, we just continue to hold. And mm-hmm. we don't give them any release for a small amount of effort. We want it to be perfect. Well, a lot of times you need to you need to find a point where they provide, even though it might be minimal effort, provide some effort and then we release. And then we start that process and build so that we get to the point where we want to be. But the the personal development side of it and controlling our thoughts is huge. And, and you know, it's just like with this group coming in, we'll talk about, and we do this in our mentorship program. You know, we have a week-long mentorship program where we go real deep into this. And we not only cover horsemanship, it's all about horsemanship, personal development, physical health and financial health and those are all parts of your program that you have to have a plan with because they all affect what you're doing with your horse program they all affect they all affect our state of mind and so then it goes back to well something like that could be affecting why we're struggling on the horsemanship side of it so yeah it's it's Controlling our thoughts, it, it's all about controlling, you know, if, if you don't want there to be a fight, one one animal has to keep their cool, and that's up to us. Yeah, and that's the hard part a lot of times, is keeping your cool, it's keeping your mindset. Hard. Oh, Very hard, yeah, <laughs> very hard, believe me, I get it. Yeah, well let's move on to, uh, I have three social media questions, I had an overabundance of sure. people want to ask you questions, so I picked out just a handful um, so okay. the first one comes from Instagram, which I thought this was perfect. She asked, what exercises would you, would you recommend to get your horse, your horse soft in the rib cage? Yeah. So I, I, I have several rib cage exercises. Now to begin with, you can't work on the rib cage if you don't have great lateral and vertical softness. And And here's the thing, and this is something that Nobody wants to hear, but everybody needs to, including me, including you. Our our collection in our horses is not good enough. Um, we've 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 produced an animal that can fly, and 
controlling speed, controlling speed is a real challenge because when you, when you're controlling speed, when you start to take the slack out of the bridle reins, that horse has to soften and get round in their back and pick that rib cage up. So your lateral and vertical softness has to be really, really good. I always say, you know, we're living in a world now where pretty good is not good enough. Right. If, if everything we do is pretty good, I, I've proven that to myself because I've tried to eliminate pretty good from my vocabulary. Because anytime I caught myself saying, you know, he's pretty good at this, I was really saying, you know what, he's really kind of average or below average. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts with your lateral and vertical softness, your collection. And then I have a cone drill that I work on where I put I put my horse in a position to be in a real small circle around that cone. But the key there is they have to have that shoulder up. You can't you can't have that shoulder dropping into the turn. And I, I'm a little apprehensive of even describing it on a podcast or just over audio because I hate for somebody to go do the exercise wrong without knowing how to do it correctly. Yeah, it's really hard to get that visual. It really is. I mean, you got to have lateral softness. you got to have lateral and vertical softness in your rib cage, But need to I do it a lot I work on the rib cage in a, in real tight circles to where I keep my horse's front end moving the front end needs to stay real freed up they need to stay soft in that head neck have that rib cage flexed and picked up and you know you have to you have to have that lateral and vertical softness in that turn now the key is When you go into one of those exercises and your horse, you feel that softness and you feel that horse soft in all five body parts and that that front end moving forward, when you feel that, you need to let them out. Don't do it 18 times. If they do Mm -hmm. it once, good, put your hand down and let your horse out of that turn. And the reason is then that horse starts to crave the release so that they know as soon as they go into that turn and they get soft, they're going to get a reward. The mistake we make is that we stay too long and we turn it into punishment. Horses don't like that. Then if a horse is going to a spot and you're asking for a extremely challenging maneuver for them, like I can put a horse on there and it be, you know, they'd be soft in all five body parts and it'd be so tight. Well, horses aren't, that's not a comfortable position for them. You know, we're, we're helping them get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But the way you do that is by making sure there's a release and a reward in there. Don't, I mean, how many times have we had struggled in turns and then we go over and work them on turns and get after them and punish them? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. The horse looks at it like, that turn is the devil, mm-hmm. and they get to hate the turn. Well, you can't have a horse hating a turn, not in your event. I mean, I can't have a horse in the rope, and, you know, a barrel horse and a heel horse, it's a real similar body position. I mean, I can't have a heel horse running down the arena Mach 1 and not be willing to soften in its head, neck, shoulders, rib cage, and get on a time quarter. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can't. You know, I can't have them hating that. So when when you present that to them, you have to be really, really, really good with your preparation, your body position, and you got to be great with the release. You got to be great with the release. And I do I do that drill with a cone, and I do it with a pole, like a pole bending pole. Yeah. Because I I really like the pole. Because what the pole will do will give you a visual so that you don't drop in with your shoulder. Yeah. Because if you do, you'll hit the pole with your shoulder. Mm-hmm. You should really have a pole with, like, spikes on the top. Yeah. <laughs> you do drop in, you get stabbed. <laughs> you know, I haven't invented that yet, but I've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, you keep your shoulder up, and he'll keep his shoulder up, too. 
is the coolest feeling yeah i mean you you've got it figured out amy the the rib cage is everything yeah it's everything it is all right question number two uh from facebook she says lately my horse has been very noodly how can i get him to stiffen back up yet while keeping him soft and supple throughout his body well that's a good problem to have um (laughs) You know, there, there's that's the opposite of what most people's problem is. Um, so when a horse gets noodly, number one, with speed, you're going to lose. You know, this is just my estimate, but with speed, it looks to me like we lose about sixty to seventy percent of our softness. Mm-hmm. So, number one, I wouldn't worry about that too much. When you start putting speed with it, you're going to lose a bunch of that. Um, if a horse like that, like like a horse that I'm working right now, he's he's really dialed into me every time I make a move. And so he's not noodly, but he's probably over-responsive. So like with him, I've just been working on some drills where I work on straight line drills where I go to a, go to a point break down, go to a point, break down, go to a point, break down. I'm working on just straight line drills and that, that'll free one up. That'll get them back to where as soon as you start putting speed with it, you're going to lose a bunch of that softness or, or like they put it, that noodliness. Mm-hmm. It'll with speed that will, that will go away some. Cool. But that's a good problem to have. If your horse is that soft, you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Number three is also from Facebook. She says, what's your advice on how to deal with horse owners that can be challenging? I'm assuming she's a trainer. Yeah, trainers. I tell you this last, and I, I don't know if there's a trend towards this or what's going on, but um, so this last year I've worked with a lot of trainers in, in several aspects on the business side and, and the horsemanship side, but really and truly there's a lot of trainers out there that on the horsemanship side, they're, they're really progressing and they're doing well, but the business side is uh, challenging and, and, and you got to be real careful as a trainer because if you don't pay attention to the business side of it, you can be the captain of a sinking ship and you don't even know it. We, we think we're doing great because we're riding a ton of horses. But on the on the business side, you really, really have to pay attention to that or you'll wake up one day and be wore out and can't train horses and, you know, don't have anything to fall back on. So this kind of goes over into that area. With your customers, you have to understand that it's all about educating them and helping them understand what the challenges are. Because here's the deal. As a trainer, you have no control over the speed of the progression. You have some horses are going to progress much faster than others. I mean, my dad told me a long time ago, he said, the only thing you can guarantee is that you're going to show up at the barn every day. You know, and I've, I've lived off that. Now, I tell a lot of trainers this. If it's if somebody calls me about training a horse, and I've done this for thirty years, if if the only thing they care about is get it done quick and what and cheap as possible, I just tell them you're not my customer. I'm not your guy because when you do that, all you're doing is sacrificing the horse and your reputation. So 
educating your owners. And I know sometimes we're in a position where we got to have the business and we're scared to death. We're not, you know, I've lived my whole life wondering, am I going to get the next set of horses? If you do a good job, they, you'll get them. If you're good at what you're doing, you'll get the horses. But some of those, some owners, um, you have to help them understand this is what you're up against. And this is kind of, you know, this is a projected timeline, but it's, it's no guarantee. All I can do is, is help them progress as much as they're ready to each time I put, swing my leg over. So that, that's a real common theme that I've heard from trainers this year. You know, educating your customers is everything. Now, at the same time, when, when you have those horses, you know, you have to help them understand the value in the progression of that horse. Because we're, we're living in a time right now where we're in a great horse market and we're finally, we're finally getting paid for what we're producing and the time we're putting into them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like for my customers now, I feel like they're getting more bang for their buck than they ever have. You know, but the the timelines, and I've done several posts, and I've done some podcasts on timelines. Timelines, you know, the old deal, well, my horse gets trained in 60 days. Anybody that thinks that is living on a different planet, I mean, you don't train. It takes years to make a good horse, not months. Anybody that thinks they get a horse trained in a few months, they're kidding themselves. Yeah. You know? Owners need to understand that, you know, and, and, and you're going to lose some owners because of that, but that's okay. You don't want them anyway. Well, I think that's a great segue into a question that I have. This is something that I ask every guest that I have on my show and you can, there's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. You can answer this however you want. If you could change anything about the horse industry, what would it be? You know, probably that, you know, it's, Having been in this business, you know, I've trained horses for over four decades now. I started when I was 16 at my mom and dad's place in northwest North Dakota. And back then, it was a different kind of horse that we rode. Um, there were there were great horses in every era. But now we have produced, you know, a horse that is a freak athlete, extremely fast, extremely talented, but extremely extremely fragile mentally at times, some more than others. The timelines that those preconceived timelines that have kind of lasted forever, that people need to get more real with their timelines. You know, so what if it takes two years or a year or whatever to put a really, really solid foundation on a horse? What you're going to, the rewards you're going to reap on the end of that are tremendous. And, you know, we've got these timelines in our heads that we think they should be at this point by this time and all that. And, you know, for the most part, they're extremely unrealistic. So that's one of the things in the industry that, and I think it's happening, you know, because I've been doing this a long time. If there was a shortcut, I'd be doing it. <laughs> I mean, we're not we're not stupid people. I mean, you know, we would all be doing it. You would have found the shortcut by now for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would have, but you would think I might have had a chance to. <laughs> yeah. And you know, so it, it's not it's not there. You know, they're not there. I mean, the shortcut is, you know, have a great plan implement your plan you know understand that it's all about it's all about progressing that horse mentally first then the physical part comes after and you know it's just like people some people are mentally really solid at a young age and some kind of need to grow into it and need to be developed you know so that's how that's one thing that more awareness of yeah Yep, I agree. Cool. Well, I'll kind of wrap some things up. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 
rapid fire questions and these are just questions to get to know you a little bit better this is just kind of the fun, the fun segment of the podcast where we can just kind of let loose and get to know you a little bit better are you ready yeah i'm ready all right question number one what's your favorite junk food my favorite junk food well i love ice cream i don't know if that's a junk food yeah well, yeah i'd cream. say <laughs> that's a yeah. good one I, I have to go with ice cream i could i could do ice cream twice a day but i try to refrain from yeah, me too. I agree. Yeah, I love ice cream. Number two, what is your favorite bit? You know, my favorite bit's probably the D-ring Snapple because I've used it so much over the years. And it's a bit that, to begin with, I was not very good with. And so it was a challenge for me to communicate with that. And so that's, that's kind of my go-to. Cool. Uh, question number three, how many animals do you own besides horses? So we're big dog people. So between Bridget and I and my son and daughter-in-law who live on the south end of our place, you know, I think we have five dogs between us. And, uh, oh, yeah, and we we always have a barn. You know, we always have barn cats and cats and dogs and horses. Plenty well stocked. And then. cattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some cattle too. So Number four, what is your favorite <laughs> store? Um, probably... Well, I'm going to say two. I like I like Cool Horse. That's a store out in Amarillo, a good friend of mine owns, and mm-hmm. National Roper Supply and Decatur. Oh yeah, store. oh yeah. I, I I could be lost in there for a good solid day. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no- yeah. Number five. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? So, resiliency is a superpower. I think resiliency is something you need in this industry to survive. So <laughs> yes, and I, a lot uh, of it. I, yeah. I, that is, that is, that resiliency is my superpower. Number six, on a scale from one to ten, how good are you at cooking? You know what? I was a bachelor till I was 26, almost 27. So I, I'm, I'm not bad at cooking, but I would say my wife is outstanding, so I haven't cooked much. So I'd say uh, I'd give myself a five maybe a six yeah we'll, we'll go in the middle she's a 10 so yeah I'm, I'm not yeah <laughs> that's good number seven what's your middle name wade w-a-d-e number eight what's the first concert you ever attended casper wyoming bon jovi yeah. i was in college at casper wyoming it was yeah it was quite it was quite an event for a country kid I bet you got like, have a lot of good memories from that, especially being Bon Jovi. Woo. Oh, yeah. 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 Great. Number nine, what's your least favorite chore to do? Oh, wow. My least favorite chore. You know, I have done everything around this place a million times. I guess now my least favorite chore is probably, well, I did, had to do it the other day. I had to fix a waterer. And I don't like fixing water, uh, so that's it, kind of a pain. Yeah, as but, soon as you get in there, know, there's three know, problems, and to fix the one problem, it, it's way bigger than what you realize it is. Yeah, so, you know, mo- I, it's funny. Most of the chores around here were, were cleaning up or picking stalls, or I like stuff kept real neat. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoy those kind of jobs, but, like, fixing waters. Those kind of things I do not enjoy. Yeah, uh, I agree. All right, last question, number 10. What is the best advice that you've ever received? You know, the best advice I've ever received is um, probably the advice my dad gave me. And he said, you know, the only thing you can guarantee is that you're going to show up every day. And not only just showing up every day, but, you know, understanding that, Keep, keep keep pecking away. Keep, you know, when we when we face our biggest challenges, we have to understand that we're so close to getting to another level. But at the same time, a lot of people at that point, you know, throw in the towel and quit. So, tell you what, just just understanding, just keep showing up, just keep showing up, and keep keep working, keep working, keep trying. Yep. That's the best advice I've ever gotten. Yeah, that's wonderful. 
Well, I have to say it's been an honor to get to chat with one of the best horsemen in the Western industry. I know I speak for all of us when I say thank you for all that you're doing between your clinics and your podcast, you know, educating all of us to be better horsemen and horsewomen, not only for ourselves, but for our horses. So please tell us where we can find you on social media and on the web. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Just go to philhaugenhorsemanship.com. That's our site, philhaugenhorsemanship on Facebook and Instagram. Very good. And your clinic schedule is also on your website? Yeah, everything is on our website. And we've actually just, we'll be coming out with a, um, we've just updated everything and and, kind of did a revamp of our website. So it's going to be really easy to navigate. A lot of information. We've got a new program coming out in the near future that we're aged that we're excited to launch. So you'll be hearing about that. So we just, um, and we do, we just appreciate you having us on. And I tell you what, I appreciate you doing what you're doing because, you know, in our industry, I always say we've, we've got the people that everything that's right with this world are back to some of the people in our industry and what we represent Mm -hmm. work ethic you know, patriotism, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we just need to keep growing the industry because we got the best deal. We got the best deal going. I agree. We have the best people in our oh. industry, and, you know, there it just takes a couple of bad apples to give us a bad name, but all in all, I think we're the best people. We're all here for each other, and we're all in it together. Yeah, and we just all need to just keep getting better. Find Phil on his website at www.philhoggenhorsemanship.com. Be sure to follow him on social media, and I promise you won't regret following his podcast either. It's been a game changer. You can also find us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at The Barrel Horse Life, where you'll find some behind-the-scenes content, store merch, and new episodes. I post some pretty good horse memes, too. Visit the store website at www.thebarrelhorselife.store. This episode of the podcast was edited, produced, and designed by me, Amy Davenport, right from my tiny recording closet. This is The Barrel Horse Life.